0: You're listening to Why Try, the podcast. I'm your host, Nicholas Peel, and each week, you'll hear from artists, entrepreneurs, and others who have found that betting on themselves has made all the difference. My conversation this week is with Jim Clark, who in 2008 bought his business Northwest Restoration. Northwest Restoration handles repairs and refurbishment for homes that have suffered damage from disasters like fire and flooding. If there's one thing, though, that I'm taking away from this conversation, it's the importance of attitude, both in believing you can succeed... And in battling through obstacles. Jim is a fighter and has brought his business a long way from the 2008 collapse, and I hope you'll enjoy the insights he offers. So you originally bought the business, right? That's how you got into it?
1: Yes. We bought the company back in 2008, and we, we had initially started a similar company, and, and, it, and it didn't pan out. We needed some credibility. So we had to go out and buy a like-kind business that had brick-and-mortar and people, and and we ended up finding Northwest Restoration in 2008. Can you tell me more about the company? So Northwest Restoration is a general contractor. We specialize in disaster repair, and basically what that means is if you have a any type of a natural disaster from fire, wind, water, etc., we are generally the contractor that, that will be taking care of you. It's a, it's a niche in the construction industry. The foundation of our business is built on being preferred with the carriers. That doesn't mean we work with the insurance carriers. That simply means that we're on a preferred rotation. That's where we put our marketing dollars so that we have first rider right refusal. I shouldn't say first right of refusal. We have first opportunity. We still have to sell the job, sign the job, et cetera.
0: And you mentioned your, the business that you started before. Between
1: that and other stuff, like, did you have a lot of background before you got into this? <laughs> That's a great question. So my background is I was in the corporate world for 18 years, had a very successful career with a company called Shaw Industries. And after 18 years, I was just ready for something new. And I've always had an entrepreneurial nudge. I proceeded to resign from Shaw, went to work for two companies over the next two years, got fired by both companies. And ended up uh, finding my way into Northwest Restoration. I mean, that's kind of a, a long story made really short. Do you want to ask why you got fired? Sure. I mean, I, I, I said got fired for dramatic effect. I mean, they were amiable separations. The first one was a company that I went to work for as its president. And it was, it was a company that had a lot of family members. And long story short, nepotism didn't work. So myself and the owner agreed to, to part ways after a year. Uh, we had a tremendous year, but it just was one of those things that, that long-term wasn't gonna get legs. So that was, that was tour number one. Tour number two, I went to work for one of our customers that I, the, that I used to deal with when I was at Shaw Industries. And I was with them for a year. And at the end of that year, it was you know, the 2008 builder crash, if you will. And some other management was going to be let go, and i I just basically said you know why don't i why don't I walk i have you know I have other things that I set out to do that i need to that I need to see to completion, and that was becoming an entrepreneur so anyway that's that's where Northwest Restoration came into the picture How, how did you find the deal so uh, that's another great question. so we started a company called Dwelling Restoration. And like I said, initially, Dwelling was a company that didn't have any brick and mortar, didn't have any experienced employees. I had a 30-page business plan and a lot of energy, and, and, and uh, that's how we proceeded. Well, in, in the course of, of developing the business, I came across an adjuster who introduced me to Northwest Restoration and presented a letter of intent to purchase Northwest Restoration, I think in June and by September of that year, we had a completed deal. And once again, this was 2008.
0: It's a good time to buy.
1: Yeah, 2008 was absolutely the worst time to buy, especially if you're in construction. But, you know, insurance is different. Insurance is is recession-proof. People are going to have disasters whether the economy is good or bad. And so we we put our heads down and, and worked hard, and the business has grown every year since. Profit has grown every year since, and so it's been, a, it's been a good play.
0: So what do you buy when you buy a business like that? What's included in that?
1: That's a great question. So what we purchased, we need, keep in mind, as I said earlier, we needed credibility. And so we purchased Northwest Restoration's name and basically credibility that came with that name and all of its assets. So it was basically an asset purchase.
0: How asset intensive is the business? I mean, are the assets like trucks or I mean, what, what goes into that?
1: So the assets that we acquired through that acquisition was primarily equipment, vehicles. Like I said, the, the, the fundamental reason why we made that purchase was to, to buy a name that had, that had good brand equity in the marketplace and had credibility with the insurance industry. So that immediately gave us an audience. It didn't come with any book of business to speak of. So it just gave us a, a launching pad to to move forward with. It's a service business. I mean, we're providing a service to people have, who have experienced some type of damage to their property. In terms of the assets needed, I mean, you need people, you need a little bit of equipment, but it's, it's not a business that requires you carry inventory. So the asset Part of the equation is, is minimal. Why was the seller getting out? So the, the company was on the cusp of bankruptcy, and the seller's son was pretty involved with the day-to-day working of the business, and he had elected to do something different. And so, you know, it was just a timing thing. So they were, they, you know, the owner was ready to get out. Business was on the cusp of bankruptcy. We came in and, and took it from there.
0: So like then a couple things kind of like that. What did you, you see in it that you thought you'd be able to do particularly well?
1: I had a lot of belief in my ability to create relationships with the insurance industry. To I had a lot of belief in my ability to build a team. And so from there, you know, I just felt like with a good company behind us, we could accomplish our goals.
0: When you were buying it, how risky did it seem to you?
1: You know, I look back on that and I don't I, I know there was risk and I knew that there was a lot of uh, I don't know if I'm going to call it fear, probably a lot of trepidation at the time. But, you know, when you're when you're focused on when you're an entrepreneur and you're focused on, on putting a business together, you know, the pieces sometimes just make sense and sometimes they don't. And in this case, they seem to make sense. So I really wasn't too I, I knew there was risk, but I felt like there was a lot of opportunity as well and we fo- we tried to focus on the opportunity not the risk.
0: Do you think a lot of people overestimate the risk of entrepreneurship?
1: Absolutely. I think that, you know, the backbone of our country is is entrepreneurs. I mean, you wouldn't have you wouldn't have Apple if someone didn't take a risk. You wouldn't have Microsoft if someone didn't take a risk and the list goes on and on. You know, this country is a tremendous country because we have the opportunity to go out and take risks and 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 build property based on what you, what you put into it, the team you build, et cetera.
0: And then kind of like the downside of that, were there any risks that cropped up later?
1: Oh yeah. I can remember going to the post office. We were probably into the deal about three months and, and the phones hadn't been ringing. I mean, we're out there, you know, beating the bushes, trying to generate some, some business and, and, you know, I'm, I'm not only having to, to sell to the insurance companies, but I'm having to sell my wife because I left all this security behind. And now we're going to the post office and we're putting a bunch of checks in the mail that aren't covered. You know, I, I just continued to believe through those times. And, you know, ultimately the business came and, you know, you, you know, you find a way to navigate through it.
0: Were there any problems you inherited from the previous owners? Oh,
1: yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I I don't know where to begin there. There's there's always, you know, when you go into a deal like that, there's always things that are unseen. And you know, we had the owner on on one of the smartest things we did is we put together a good buy sell agreement with the previous owner and we had him under retainer for 2 years. And so things that did creep up, you know, we were able to resolve by virtue of how we put together the buy-sell agreement. And, you know, things ended up sorting themselves out in the end.
0: This is more like the personal side. How has your life changed since buying the business?
1: So probably the biggest thing is, you know, when I was in the corporate world, there was a lot of travel. I mean, I was on a plane at least every other week, sometimes every week, depending on the time of year it was. The way that my life has changed is I got better control over my schedule, number one. Number two, instead of making money uh, for the man, the buck stops with you. I mean, if if you create something that, that yields a profit, you get to keep that profit rather than a portion of that profit. And I like to have control over my destiny and probably why being an entrepreneur has always appealed to me. But personally, control of time and control ultimately of the good and bad that comes with performance.
0: So speaking of time, uh, how many hours a week were you working when you first bought it?
1: Oh my goodness! It's a good thing I don't count hours. Jeez! In the early days, we we were easily, you know, I know that I was working easily 60 to 70 hours. You know, that's obviously uh, mellowed quite a bit in in the in the last eight years. But I think everybody needs to understand that that. Even if you're a part of of the corporate world, there's no such thing as a 40 hour a week job. It just doesn't exist. If you're building a career and you're intentional and focused on building your career, you're gonna put time into it. You're gonna put time into getting better as an individual. You're gonna put time into learning the business that, that you're a part of. And the same holds true as an entrepreneur. The difference is the buck stops with you. So there's a little bit more pressure in terms of the commitment. But there's no such thing as, as a 40-hour-a-week job, career. So coming out of that, like how long was it before you could draw a salary? We did not draw a salary for nine months. We had, at that time, we had, I believe, eight employees. And we made sure that the employees were taken care of first. So it took us about nine months to draw a salary. How many hours are you working now? I probably put in 40 to 50. And we've got a great team at this point in the game. I probably can get away with not working 40 to 50. I'm putting a little bit more in now because we're in the middle of transitioning in a couple of new employees. But uh, yeah, that's a typical week.
0: Has the business changed at all
1: since you started running it? Huge. Huge. How so? The business has become more automated. Everything we do is through technology, you know, whether it be a... Project management software, our estimating software, the way you communicate with the insurance companies, the way you communicate with with your clients. Our clients are the homeowners that have damages. Every, everything has changed, primarily due to technology, and so you 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 have to change or die, basically.
0: Okay. Is there anything about the business that's been harder than you thought it would be?
1: The way that you manage people in the corporate world is substantially different than the way you lead and manage people in small business and that took me a while to to get my arms wrapped around you know in the, in the corporate world you you have a line of people waiting to to slot into this particular a particular position that's not the case in small business small business you know someone told me one time that that as a small business owner you've got to be the most unselfish person in the business and that that there is so much truth to that and that's how you that's kind of the mindset you've got to have when you're leading and growing a, a small business team. That doesn't mean you roll over every time there's, there's an issue, but it certainly means you need to take a step back, take a deep breath, and, and really analyze how you're going to approach personnel decisions. So that was probably a big part of small business that I didn't see coming, but it's also been a, a good challenge. Uh, What were some of the early mistakes you made around that? Geez, we had a ton of turnover early. I mean, that's the obvious mistake that that comes with that. We still demand, we have a performance-driven culture. We still demand that our people produce, and they've got very clear metrics, but uh, the mistakes caused quite a bit of turnover in the early days.
0: What was driving that?
1: Just the demand that you put on your people there's there's a lot of factors and it it ranges from you know the job description which is the demand to compensation understanding and and fulfilling the right compensation requirements not overpaying or underpaying but finding that sweet spot and just just finding the balance among all those elements and then the whole team building piece getting getting the team to work together and and creating the synergies that, that go along with that so I would say those are the three key elements. What's worked well in building a team? Well, you've, you've got to, from for me, um, what's worked well is bringing people in that may not have the experience that you need right out of the gates, but but develop them into your culture. Rather than bringing in people that may have been in the industry for for 10, 15, maybe 20 years, they have a ton of experience, but they're already set in their ways of doing things. So for us, just bringing people in that are willing to learn, are coachable, they like the business, that's a key element, making sure that you're hiring people that like what you do and and see and agree with your vision, and then develop them into your business. A little bit more time consuming, takes a lot more coaching, but at the end of the day, it's more rewarding. What we've experienced is you have a lot more unity with your team. What were, were there any resources you looked at
0: in terms of learning all of this?
1: Just read. There's a lot of good books. There's the I think Larry Bossidy wrote this. He's an old GM guy, and it's called uh, Execution. That's a good read, good to great. You know, Good to great is a phenomenal read to do with your team. We just went through a read called Well Hunting because we're in the process of of expanding into different business segments and well hunting I off the top of my head i can't think of who wrote it but there's a couple um just read shoe dog phil knight's book which is a great read i don't know that it that it really speaks too much there's a lot of good stuff in there surrounding teamwork but just a good business read i really like that one great read it's a great read every time a banker asks me for collateral, where's your collateral? I always refer to Shoe Dog and they they all laugh because they've heard it from 13 other entrepreneurs that have said the same thing, so.
0: How was the deal of finance when you guys bought the company? Oh, that's that's an
1: interesting story as well. So what we did in the beginning is we put together a business plan. It was a 32-page business plan and well thought out and I started peddling it to every banker. Keep in mind, this was 2008. Right when construction was tanking, and here walks Jim with this business plan, a lot of energy, a lot of a lot of excitement, and I probably talked to a half a dozen bankers who all, in so many words, basically showed me the door. So finally, I built a relationship with a gentleman from On Point Bank, who is still our banker to this day. His name's Guy Poppy. Guy Poppy is, a, I think, he's a vice president at On Point at this point in time. But anyway. He showed us an opportunity that, that had to do with using our retirement that we brought over from the corporate world. And we were able to use some retirement money without incurring a distribution penalty. And it's it's been tremendous. It was a, it was a good way to fund the business that kept us from having to go out and use venture money, which would have been a lot more expensive. Bankers can help you. They may not just show up and and write you a check for your for your business but they'll certainly help you with potentially creative ideas to get something done
0: is there anything you know now that you wish you'd known when you were structuring the deal
1: yeah i wish i would have negotiated better i wish i would have i don't know you know i look back on it and and uh i don't know i really don't know if there's if there's anything dramatically different we would have done to affect the outcome I don't, I don't, I'm sure if I, if I really analyzed it, I could, I could probably come up with a couple things but off the top of my head. I don't. Okay. So you mentioned your, uh,
0: was it 32, 33 page plan?
1: Yeah. How closely has that mapped onto real life? Very close. The direction we were going to go in construction has consolidated, meaning that the original business plan spelled out that we would do remodel and restoration. Well, we don't, we hardly do any remodel. Any remodel that we do today is with our existing restoration clients so that's the fundamental thing that didn't come to fruition but most business books that you read there's a reason why they say put a business plan together because what you put in writing generally happens so the the inverse to that is also the case what you don't put in writing is not gonna happen so it's amazing when you sit down and you put thought into putting a business plan together how it does in fact come to fruition maybe not everything maybe not in the time frame that you're expecting it to but it's just a re- it's 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 putting your business on a railroad track and and intentionally directing where you want it to go and by putting a plan together i mean we i wish i could say we're we're disciplined about doing it every year but we're not you know we probably have a fundamental specific plan put together once every couple years what do you think worked well when you're putting this together what worked well was it forced, it forced me to, to get out into the marketplace and interview and talk to people that were players in this, in this segment of, of the construction world. It really opened my eyes to a lot of different things. Strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. When you talk about the SWOT analysis of a business plan, you know, that's probably one of the key elements. You, you gotta know where your weakness is, you gotta know what the opportunities are so you can build your marketing plan. You know that that's probably one of the keys to what the plan gave to us is just better understanding your market and, and how to how to do battle in that market. So how do you deal with threats? One of the most primary threats is just participating in your market, marketing your business, and how do we deal with that threat is you you try and find a way to be different. you know you You talk to your team about being different, you compensate around being different. What does different look like for a business like, like yours? Service. You know, how do you, how do you better service your client? Um, how, do you, how do you take care of issues when they come up? Construction's going to have issues. Anybody that says they don't have issues is, is living on a, in, in an alternate reality. Things happen. And how you deal with those dictates how threats are going to be resolved or how your business is being marketed managing your social media platform I mean it's a myriad of different things how
0: do you go about marketing your business
1: we use a lot of social media Facebook our our. we use LinkedIn our our uh, website we try and keep fresh our business isn't necessarily uh, our, our service I should say isn't necessarily purchased because of our social media presence people hear about us when they have a disaster, they don't wanna be on social media surfing around. They they wanna get answers quickly, so they generally hear our name through a referral or through an insurance company person. You do it through industry associations. There's there's an association uh, in our world called the uh, Multifamily Northwest, which is property management. Just that group of, of avenues.
0: At the time that you bought the business, you had um, well, Nick was in middle school, Connor's high school, Yeah, both of them, like looking at going to college. Uh, what was going through your mind in terms of like your family when you were making this decision?
1: Just keep your nose down and keep working the business. You know, you've got two college expenses looming. You've got our responsibilities of a typical American family from a mortgage to putting food on the table. And you just, I, all I could think about, I couldn't, I couldn't stop and worry about those looming Issues, responsibilities, whatever you want to call them. All I, all I, I just really tried hard to train myself to keep my head down and just keep working the business.
0: Focus on what you can do instead of the stuff you can't control. That's
1: a great quote. Just, yeah. What I was doing was focusing on what I can control, not what I couldn't.
0: Yeah. So what do you see in the future of the business?
1: I see a lot of positive. I see doubling our current revenue within. I would, I would say three years. We're marketing in a way today that is, that is tapping into to new and different markets. We've added some, some key people that will contribute to our growth. So I'm, I'm really bullish about the future. Our brand is is very strong in the marketplace. People like to do business with us. So that's what I see in the in the near term. Do you think you'll ever retire from the business? Oh, yeah. Oh,
0: yeah. What does that look like for you? And would would you sell it or talk to me in three years? All right. Uh, are you thinking about like that soon? Then, like within five years or something? Though, you never know. In terms of your own life, how do you define success?
1: What I want out of life is to to be in a position to give back. And I don't know specifically what that means. I don't. I don't know if that means from a business standpoint creating some type of a mentorship organization or if that's more raising money for new entrepreneurs. I don't know really what that looks like, but that is a passion. That's something that I'd like to be invested in and spend time doing is is somehow giving back to not only to entrepreneurs, but to, to my wife and I have a passion for for kids and somehow finding a way to to give back to To young people that are that are maybe not as fortunate as others so those two those two avenues
0: did you have any like early entrepreneurial ventures i mean you describe yourself as entrepreneurial when did you first realize that about yourself
1: well i think everyone's entrepreneurial i mean if you're if you're successful for example in the corporate world i think it's because you have some entrepreneurial spirit because the the essence of an entrepreneur is that they they're problem solvers and they find a way to navigate through opportunities and challenges. I always knew that I kind of had that spirit. I've always been pretty independent. In terms of specific examples of entrepreneurship, from my college days to my corporate life, I was always looking for something, for the better mousetrap. There was a couple different times when we, when my wife and I were uh, really close to opening up some other businesses so we've always kind of been looking but I've always known I've had that that entrepreneurial spirit so you mentioned like a lot of people are entrepreneurial why why do you think more people don't start their own businesses fear do you want to elaborate sure there's there's one word out there that I think sums it all up and that's grit a lot of people particularly in America are very comfortable you know where we are we are blessed beyond any of our understanding if you, if you ever travel abroad you, you you totally understand what i mean i just think we as americans are, are are comfortable we're too comfortable and we don't when when the going gets tough it's difficult for 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 americans to, to understand what grit means to to, to, to hunker down and battle you know, we we talk a lot around here. If someone says they're having a challenge with whatever, quick response is typically, well, it's time to battle. And that means that's grit. That's, you know, not, nothing worth doing comes easy. I think the sooner we all understand that, the more successful and the better we're going to be. That's probably why there you don't have more entrepreneurs, because it's not easy. It's not easy. It's like, why isn't there more... Uh, nuclear engineers because it's hard the curriculum's hard well I can't do math well if you tell yourself you can't do math then you won't do math how do you think about teaching people to have more grit how do you teach that a lot of people would argue that that's an inherent trait that you can't teach it it's part of their personality and there may be some truth to that I'm not going to deny that but I believe to some degree people have the ability to battle I think the way you teach it is you just make them aware of it. You know, you make them aware of various scenarios. What if you found yourself in this scenario? I I don't even, I can't even think of a specific example, but maybe by putting people in situations where they think of different scenarios that they might find themselves in that aren't pretty, and what would you do to get out of that? You know, that that might make it more familiar, something that they're thinking about top of mind. Was there anyone for you that influenced your thinking in this way? Absolutely. I mean, there's been a number of, of different people. The company I came from, Shaw Industries, is a, what I'd classify as a gritty company. It was a performance-driven organization, and you either performed or you were out. My father always seemed to find ways to, to put, me, put me in positions where I had to problem-solve my way through them.
0: Yeah. Do you have any good stories like that?
1: Yeah. One good story is I remember when I got my first vehicle, it was a gas hogging 1964 Chevy pickup. And I think I got like five miles to the gallon. So what would he do? He'd give me a buck a week for gas. Now this was during the mid 80s. So a buck a a week for gas went a heck of a lot farther than it would go today. But still, it only got me to about Tuesday. So I had to figure out a way to get from Wednesday through Friday. In high school, I was always an athletic person, and so I didn't work a job while I was in school. But it forced me to really hunker down during the summers and and change water and dig corrugates or whatever, top corn, whatever the order of the day was, to, to fill your bank account because you knew you weren't going to get a lot of love from, from dad. So that's one example. Moving down a generation, is there anything that you focus on
0: in terms of teaching your kids about grit?
1: Absolutely. I mean, we talk to our two sons all the time about the importance of battling through obstacles, and you know, my two sons have it completely different than than I did, and certainly than my father did. It's a different time, and I'm proud of both of them. They've had various experiences in their young lives that that they've that they've both battled through, and I feel like they're they're on the right track, but it, you know, you just got to take every opportunity you can do not just roll over and make it easy for them. You've got to walk them through. Okay. Here's an example of when you can use a little bit of grit and here's how we go about that.
0: I don't know as much about Nick, but I know Connor's like a big wrestler can talk a little bit about what they've like learned through wrestling speak oh, to the power of grit in that sport a little
1: bit. No doubt about it. So both my sons were wrestlers and Connor, my oldest, he, he did he did pretty good in high school and then he ended up going to Iowa State to wrestle. And anybody who knows anything about wrestling knows that it's all about grit and and I and not just wrestling. It doesn't matter if you're a football player, a baseball player, any type of team sport it it demands a lot out of our young people. And pouring into those activities is all about being gritty. And I can totally see. Not only with Connor today, because he works for us, but with other people that were athletes in high school, it it makes a huge difference in how they approach their professional life. They just, they're able to get more done. They're better organized. And in most cases, they're better problem solvers because they're not looking for an excuse. They're looking for a solution. I just, you know... What I the, the one thing that I would like to contribute to the whole essence of being an entrepreneur is that don't let fear dictate your decision. You know, life is short. you can't take your money with you. You got to be smart, but you can't let fear dictate every decision. You can't let the paralysis of analysis overcome you while you're trying to to decide whether or not, purchasing this manufacturing company is the right thing for for you and your team or you and your family do away with fear and step out get good people behind you from cpa attorney bankers and go from there okay
0: i think that's a good place to end it good talking to you yeah
1: thanks for your time
0: thanks again to jim clark for making the time to be on the show you can find his business northwest restoration at northwestrestoration.com. That's nwrestoration.com. If you like this podcast, you can find more episodes on Apple iTunes and all other apps under Why Try. You can also find episodes at nicholaspeel.com, where I've included links to subscribe to a variety of other podcast apps. Also, please do me a favor and visit the Facebook page Why Try The Podcast and click like, follow, or share to help others discover Why Try. I also created a group called Why Try The Focus Group, That's an open group anyone can join where I periodically ask for suggestions, guest ideas, and other areas that you'd like to learn about. Maybe you're interested in learning about how someone's in a nonprofit, or in who the heck decides to start a business maintaining outhouses. Those are just two great suggestions I've gotten since starting the group, and I'd love to hear more. If you'd like to get engaged in the podcast, offer suggestions, learn about entrepreneurship, or even promote your own business, this is a great way to do it. The music for this podcast is by like Cambrian Explosion, a group of sorcerers that all rolled 18s for their charisma ability and dumped all their skill points to perform music. The only difference is that they have more than like the 4 hit points that sorcerers get awarded starting out. Yeah, who thinks that class? Okay. and no armor? You just like die, you just like trip down a small flight of stairs and you're dead, and you have to reroll a new character. It's bizarre that anyone would choose that over like a fighter, or a druid. I mean druids, fighters, I mean wizards, just if we're being totally honest, are probably objectively better. Yeah, it's a redundant class, at least in 3.5. So anyway, check out Cambrian Explosion at cepdx.bandcamp.com, as well as on iTunes and Spotify. They're like if Sorcerers didn't suck and were good at music. Thanks for listening.